Welcome back into the Original Gangsters Podcast. I am your host, Scott Bernstein. I am lucky to be joined by my co-host and partner in crime, the doctor, Jimmy Bucciolato. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Signore. Hello. <laughs> and uh, today we are going to talk about uh, the Mafia in Buffalo. We're going to do a little bit of a update on uh, where the Magadino crime family stands today, and then we're going to talk about the recent release of a very, very notorious mob hitman who it looked like would never see the light of day, and uh, a couple weeks ago walked free um, from prison, and he's 88 years old, uh, Luciano Spataro, who goes by the nickname John Dillinger, or Dilly. And then uh, we're going to do a quick uh, flashback to 25 years ago this month, uh, Fat Herbie Blitzstein, who was a, a Jewish associate of the Chicago Mafia, um, had a character based on him in the movie Casino, uh, was murdered in January of 1997 in a, a ill-advised and, and ill-planned takeover of his rackets um, by uh, an, uh, an alliance of the L.A. and Buffalo Mafia families. And everybody that was involved in that conspiracy uh, ended up, you know, the there was an undercover in into this investigation before this investigation ever really started. Um, and a lot of guys went to prison, uh, but Fat Herbie Blitzstein was gunned down in his house in January of 1997, 25 years ago this month. Um, and that ties into the Buffalo crime family. So, uh, the Magadinos, um, one of the most historic uh, crime families in, in America. One of the original, uh, like the, it was five families plus one yeah. on the committee. Oh, Chicago. That was like the original seven, right? Yeah. And, uh, what's really interesting about them from a, a research or, or socioacademic perspective is that, uh, for the last or let's say up until 2017 or 18, for about 15 years or so, 10 to 15 years, even the local press in Buffalo were writing stories that the Buffalo Mafia was a thing of the past. And uh, there was, there was no, no, Magad no Magadino crime family um, left, only remnants. But in the last couple of years... Uh, based on new reporting and federal uh, investigations, uh, federal indictments, sources on the street, it, it appears that the Buffalo Mafia is alive and well um, and uh, fully functioning. And it feels, uh, or I shouldn't, say, I shouldn't say it feels like, it, it, it's factual that there is a multi-agency probe um, going after the inner circle of Joe Todaro, Big Joe Todaro Jr., the reputed mob boss of Philadelphia. His dad, Lead Pipe Joe, um, was the boss uh, from the 80s into the 2000s, passed the torch to uh, Big Joe. Big Joe is and Lead Pipe Joe, they were, it, <laughs> they were pioneers, uh, not just in the mafia, but in the food service industry. They, uh, they brought buffalo wings to the masses, or they were some of the uh, first people to really take the concept of buffalo wings and, and bring them uh, to the rest of the United States. And now any restaurant you go to, you can get buffalo wings. And that's one of their uh, 
re- responses to these allegations. Yeah. They're like, we're the, we're the chicken wing guys. We're we the don't... pizza chicken wing guys. <laughs> they have a multi-million right. dollar gangsters. Uh, company called Lenovo, right. uh, which is a, a, a chain of restaurants as well as they're one of the biggest, at least on the East Coast, they're one of the biggest, um, uh, you know, when you go to the, 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 the grocery store, you go to the freezer. The, yeah. Well, how would you reference? Yeah. Frozen, Fre- freezer, frozen goods. Frozen foods. Yeah. Frozen goods when it comes to uh, pizza and buffalo wings. Um, but uh, it looks like that the government is chipping away at some of Todaro Jr.'s insulation, even though Todaro Jr. has not been named or uh, uh, in- included in any of these indictments. I shouldn't say he's been na- – he has been named, not as a uh, defendant, but as someone that some of these defendants are connected to, uh, including his nephews, two of his nephews um, are have gone down on on a, a drug and bribery charges. There was a uh, a, a teacher. Oh yeah, that was uh, indicted, and they uh, think he might have been a made guy. They, the government says he's a made guy. Yeah. Uh, a teacher and football coach in Buffalo who's a, reputed to be a made guy. Um, they, they're they tying the bikers into all of this. Uh, Pharaoh's Strip Club, where one of these uh, busts occurred with one of Todaro Jr.'s nephews. Um, they uh, uh, identified the national, or I should say the international president of the Outlaws Motorcycle Club, uh, John or mean, they call Tommy O, uh, as being the head of security at Pharaoh's Pharaoh's is the night, uh, is the strip club that the Buffalo mafia allegedly controls. And, uh, Tommy O has been running security there for the last 10 years. And there was a former DEA agent. Yeah. John Bon Giovanni implicated in all yes. of this. Um, so he, you know, went from zero to a hundred on the uh, mafia radar in Western New York in the last two, three, four years. Yeah, if, if I can comment on that, it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to hear your thoughts. But so when, when people were saying the, the, the mafia is dead in, in Buffalo, I mean, I, I think there was a lot of reasons to believe that, right? Like, so I'm, I'm not saying, oh, that was a ridiculous take. I mean, it, it was pretty, seemed pretty quiet there. But what I would say is what you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> and this is by definition a secret society, people doing clandestine things, trying to be low key, and if there aren't bodies dropping, sometimes things are inconspicuous. Mm-hmm. And I and I would say, in fairness, arguing with myself here, that if someone were to say, oh, the mafia is thriving in Buffalo, well, then, of course, you have to have the burden of proof is on you. You have to present some kind of evidence. But I'm just saying, at the same time, to just say, well, we, we, haven't, we haven't heard anything in a year or two, three years that must be dead, you know, th- that might be an overstatement, too, in the other direction, because what and you don't I, know, you don't know. And I think there's a parallel to here in Detroit with the Todaros, you know, to the Toco Jackalones, in that it's a family business, just like the the yeah. Todaros La Nova pizzeria chain. If you believe the government, um, the mafia is their other um, <laughs> business empire. And uh, the, the, the Todaro family has been involved in the Buffalo, uh, the high, you know, the upper echelons of the, of the Buffalo Organized crime syndicate since the 60s. Um, Lead Pipe Joe was a, a pretty legendary uh, figure um, who was a, a, a favored enforcer for, for Stefano Magadino in his early years. Uh, I think he worked with Danny Sansonisi, who was one of the main 
enforcers in that family, Danny Boots. And, uh, I, you know, just like with the Tocos and the Jackalones here in Detroit, you know, you, going legit and shuttering or, 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 or closing up shop on uh, an organization that's been around for 100 years and your family's directly tied to, at least in the Buffalo case, a half century of it, in the Detroit case, you know, an entire, the, the entirety of it, you know, there's there's a vested interest in wanting to make sure what your what your uh, ancestors or your bloodline or your father, or your grandfather, or your uncle built. You have a vested interest in in sustaining it, whether it's a criminal organization or if it's a grocery store. Yeah, I think that's right. It, people's psychological motivations are complicated, and if you look at it from a pure cost benefit analysis and say, well, they make so much money with pizza and wings, why they they wouldn't be involved in those things. Well, for some people, that's true. They would make a calculation. It's not worth it. But people are complicated, right? For some people, what you just said is important. <laughs> the, the, the power and the legacy and the, the status of being someone who you don't trifle with. And let's also you know, give, a, give a postscript to that, that the Todaro family was involved in the mafia well before it was involved in the Buffalo Wing business. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> so, that's right. And, and by the way, some of the smartest mafiosi, I think, you would agree, are the ones that precisely camouflage yeah. their illegitimate... <laughs> and I'm sure Joe Todaro <laughs> Jr., just like Jack Toko when he died in 2014, Jack Toko was legitimately worth tens of millions of yeah. dollars of legitimate money. Yeah. Forget did. about the black right. the black market money. Right. I'm sure Joe Todaro Jr. is a millionaire sure. by legitimate means. Sure. But I also believe that Joe Todaro is a mob boss. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the guys um, in Sicily, you know, those guys were making millions from, you know, construction and uh, f uh, produce and things like that, owning land. That didn't stop them from collecting drug <laughs> profits, and and collecting and, extortion profits. And Todaro and is, not, uh, is not a Jack Toko in the sense that he doesn't duck his head. He, he, oh, right. he, Dave Portnoy went to Lenovo last year or two years ago to do one of his pizza reviews and sat with, with Joe Todaro. Yeah. And even made like a mafia joke. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he and I don't think Dave Portnoy even knew who he was talking to. Right. And yeah. And Todaro, to my understanding, he will acknowledge those allegations right. and, and, and be like, it's nah, crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, JT was like, you know, like a word you don't say. <laughs> you don't worry. Right? <laughs> Just pretend like it's not even out there. Right. Yeah. Um, but so with Buffalo, if we, if we can step back a little bit uh, and talk about its significance again, I know I know we're going to get to the more current stuff. We'll, we'll do some history with the Blinstein, but 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 early. So as we mentioned, it was one of the founding families on the commission, Stefano Magadino, whose own family well, was the longest. I think Joe Zarelli, I always say was the longest serving Don, but I think he was actually Magadino had him by a couple of years. That's right, yeah, because because Magadino goes back to thirty one. But the difference was Magadino, I think, was boss in name, in the last ten years, yeah, and not, yeah, like he wasn't. So Zerilli was boss in name Always. from thirty six to seventy seven. Yeah, and Zerilli was a revered. I should figure. say I should say he wasn't boss. He was the actual boss. Yeah, like it wasn't. He wasn't like a titular head. No, Joe's really was making decisions right. until the Magadino, I think, was like put on the shelf by his own guys. I was just going to say there was a, a kind his, of a revolt in the last ten years. Right, there was yeah. kind of a revolt against Magadino, and so he he comes out and he his family is a prominent mafia family in 
Sicily. So he had cousins and uncles who were big mafiosi in Sicily back in the day. And he's related to Joe Bonanno. They were, I believe, Primo Cugino, Cugino uh, first cousins. And then they have a falling out. And then even Stefano Magadino's own cousin, Peter Magadino, sides with Joe Bonanno. And there's a war called the Bananas War that uh, Stefano Magadino is backing a takeover, or he's his brother-in-law, Gaspar Di Gregorio, is is uh, leading a revolt against Joe Bonanno, and Di Gregorio is backed by Stefano Magadino. So there's really a rich history here. So in terms of like just wondering why you know people like Scott and I who are interested in history are fascinated by Buffalo. This goes back a long time, and, the, and this this was never a uh, insignificant, trivial kind of you know like maybe uh, Colorado or something like that. Buffalo, Des Moines, where, yeah, right, right. This was this was a significant family. Yeah. This was the major leagues, right? I mean, this was major leagues ties to uh, Montreal, Hamilton, yeah. Toronto. Um, so it's it's it, it was a, it was a big deal. So to the extent that when people would say, "Oh, it's finished." You know, it, it, that would have been an interesting thing because Buffalo was one of the, you know, significant organization. And if it had dissolved, that that would have been an interesting development. But it seems like that's not the case. And then the news that really broke all this open in terms of the new narrative was when the underboss, the, the admitted underboss, uh, Dom Violi, um, was caught on a tape with an undercover boasting of Joe Todaro naming him his underboss in a ceremony in Florida that he had beat out 30 other guys for the job, which I'm guessing means that there were 30 people in the family, not that there were 30 candidates. Candidates, yeah, that's a good. Some point. people were taking it. It's like there were 30 people up for the job. So that yeah. means there's hundred people. That, in the that family. would be remarkable, right? No, and I think it's like probably the family has 30 to 35 guys. Um, and this is all on tape. Uh, and Violi is Canadian right. and would be the if if it's true, and I believe it is. The first uh, Canadian-born administrator uh, in in the American mafia. Yeah, because there were Canadian captains, like in the Bonanno family, yeah. but they never rose higher. And than- Violi's family was big in the Montreal mob. Uh, his dad, Paolo Violi, was assassinated by the Rizzuto family, and Violi and his brother had to leave Montreal, and they took refuge. Um, in ha- in Hamilton and in uh, in protection from the Buffalo La Cosa Nostra, um, and the two sons have have now risen through the ranks and are uh, both allegedly made guys. And and Dom uh, Violi is uh, the underboss. And by the way, that ties into what we just were talking about because Magadino, the old man, they called him the Undertaker, Stefano Magadino. He considered all of that part of Canada, Eastern Canada, his territory. So when his cousin Bonanno started sending guys up to Montreal, like Carmine Galante and his son Bill Bonanno, Stefano Magadino took exception yeah. to that. He felt like that was infringement on, and so um, the um, uh, that that plays into the Violi Rizzuto f- feud uh, over control and then, because th- they were both affiliated with the Bonanos. And then making the parallel to Detroit because of the proximity to Canada for both Detroit and Buffalo, those are entry points. Uh, you know, for the narcotics industry. Ah, uh, yes. So it puts both the Buffalo family and the Detroit family kind of at the forefront. Uh, and that's what you were talking about with the Bananos going into Montreal, but having to do it, you know, up through Hamilton to when you got to Montreal. Yeah, right. Yeah, to go right through Bangadino uh, yeah, territory. Um, 
you know, that was for, for, for the drug business, for no other reason. I mean, the reason there was a flag planted in Montreal by Galante and Bonanno was for the drug business. Yeah, and 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 Galante, since he was there already, he then he took over the gambling, the crabs games, yeah. and things like that. But you're right, the, the 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 reason to begin with is to control that port of entry and the import of heroin, especially um, at that point. The Rizzutos later was you know it was a lot of cocaine, but back in the '50s, '60s, it was heroin coming down from uh, Europe through Montreal. So one of uh, the Tataros enforcers. And we're going to bring it up to modern day right now. Uh, Luciano Spataro, uh, career criminal uh, in Western New York and, and parts of Ontario, um, was a unabashed hitman, a drug dealer, bookie, loan shark. And uh, there, although there haven't been bodies dropping in Buffalo in the last 20 years, 25 years, uh, you know, the 70s, 80s, and part of the 90s, uh, there there were quite a few uh, gangland slains. You have an article in Gangster Report, and I actually didn't realize when I was reading that, that really struck me. I was like, God damn, I didn't realize so many guys in that period yeah. were getting clipped. Uh, in Buffalo. Right. So uh, Luciano Spataro makes his way out of prison. Um, I believe it was a state case. Um, it was a life sentence. Uh, but he earned a reprieve from the parole board, and uh, even though he was uh, uh, convicted of at least two murders, as well as cocaine trafficking, and one of the murders was his son-in-law, uh, he walked out of prison right before Christmas. He's 88 years old. Um, they call him Dilly, but that, that's a, a shortened version of John Dillinger. <laughs> you can, you know, let your imagination run wild with how you got that nickname when you were a young a young lad. I'm sure he was quite the cowboy. Yeah. And um, he killed his son-in-law, Johnny Pinelli, a 24-year-old uh, kind of a young, um, not of a, just a hoodlum, a hoodlum like, yeah, yeah, like a drug-addled uh, yeah. wild card. Yeah, and uh, I believe that Pinelli had committed another murder on behalf of Spataro, and Pinelli was getting jammed up a year later and the fact that <laughs> Pinelli was married to to Dilly's daughter the fact that had that that was a father to one of Dilly's living grandchildren was about to be a father uh to another grand grandchild uh, Dilly's daughter was pregnant at the time that he decided to murder uh, Johnny Pinelli it's almost like Carlo yeah. It was yeah. it was Michael not Vito, but it's somewhat parallel. to keep to keep him quiet. Right. So they murdered him on uh, September 28, 1996. Um and uh that was in an effort to uh cover up two other murders that had taken place uh, in 84 and 85. Uh one of uh, a Buffalo mob associate named uh, Albert Big Al Monaco. And another one of uh, Robert DiGiulio, who went by the nickname Bobby the Body and was a uh, bodyguard of the stars. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Steven Seagal, Wesley Snipes, Bruce Willis. He had uh, been their bodyguard, but was also a, a, a member of the mafia. 
So was he ever? Do we know like what his rank was? Was he? He was just a. I don't even know if he was made, but he was an. No, no, enforcer. I mean, I mean the uh, Dillinger. He was. Oh, Dill- yeah, he was. He was a soldier that I think had a crew. Okay, but wasn't okay. Uh, formally a captain. wasn't a capo. And um, and so who would have been calling the shots at this point? Because Magadino was already well, dead. Tadaro was Tadaro's dad. Tadaro, right. Tadaro's dad. Yeah, because Magadino was. He had already was on the outs, as you said, and then he died, what, in 75, something like yeah, that? Yeah, so. Lead Pipe Joe was okay. uh, Joe, Joe, Big Joe Todaro Jr.'s dad. Yeah. And at this point, if you believe the government, Big Joe was the underboss. He became underboss when his dad became boss, even though he was pretty young. Um, and I guess one of Dilly's, or Dilly's right-hand man, a guy named Billy Baggs, William Koopman, um, flipped. And uh, that's what that's what brought uh, Dilly down. And I'm guessing by the name Billy Koopman, he was not a made member. He wasn't Italian. Um, so he, but the the old man, he oversaw. I'm looking at your list on Gangster Report. I mean, he, that was a bloody reign. Yeah, by the old man Tadaro. Yeah, there's a bunch of murders <laughs> in the '80s. Wow. Uh, and then the FBI also considers, even though he wasn't convicted of. He was convicted of DiGiulio um, and Pinelli, or Monaco and Pinelli. Anyway, those three. But then there's another two that he suspected in, uh, Bobby Warner and and Joey Joey Sanfratello. Sanfratello was uh, killed in 85, and uh, Bobby Warner was murdered in 80. Warner was an actual, a a local business owner who owned a a famous restaurant called the Corn Cob Inn. was murdered in 1981. And he, this guy says that that uh, Warner had been outed as an informant for NYPD, and Spatar was given the contract to whack him. And and according to your reporting, they paid him fifteen hundred. Man, that's nothing. I was just gonna, say, <laughs> if you're willing to kill someone for fifteen hundred, I, I suspect you kind of like your job. <laughs> yeah, you kind of like your job. <laughs> so uh, it's you know, I, I don't know. And on on one hand, it's like. Guy's 88 years old. Is he really a danger to society anymore? I don't think he is. But on the other hand, if if you're if you're if you're such a miscreant, if you're if you're someone that is a, a, a sociopath who has killed multiple, you know, I would guess Spataro was involved in over a dozen murders. Um, I mean, if we're hearing that publicly, he's been identified as a a shooter. Or as a suspect in a half dozen, I guess there's another half dozen at least that yeah. we don't know about. So, you know, I, I wouldn't um, lose a wink of sleep if, if the guy had to die in prison. But in terms of like if you're, you know, we're worried about the the safety of of uh, Western New York or Buffalo, I don't think <laughs> Dilly Spataro at 80 years, public, 88 yeah. years old is going to come back and right. get back in the rackets. Yeah, it's not a threat to public he's safety. He's not Beach <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, especially at that. At that age. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, I'm sure, I, I I shouldn't say I'm sure, I know, uh, based on the reporting that was done when he came out, that, you know, naturally, the, the victim's families are very upset. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to forget. And they're not going to care if he's 88 or whatever. No, and I know Pinelli's mom and Pinelli's sister are like, this guy was a part of our family, or our son was, or our, our brother was a part of his family. Yeah, do we know what his... 
I don't know what's happened to those kids and yeah, stuff. Well, I, don't you know, know. I was just going to say, does his daughter like resent him? Does she, I don't know. Because you know, sometimes they don't believe they don't yeah. believe that their father or brother would do something. Like, you know how that goes? Yeah. Like a denial. So we don't know if there's a rift in that. I've, I've noticed, though, in a couple cases in that time period, 80s, 90s, there were these hardcore veteran Buffalo mob guys that were like getting their, and this is includes Dilly, were getting their like, 15 and 16 year old kids like to move their blow or yeah. to like do their collections and it's just like I'm, I'm it, it's not out of the ordinary for kids to follow in their dad's footsteps but at least at least in what i've been able to 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 gather over the years and most of that happens once they're in their 20s yeah. not when they're in junior high school but maybe yeah yeah and in some ways and one of the kids got killed Oh, really? Uh, Frankie uh, Bifalco, they call Butchie Bifocals, who just died in the last year. His son was like 14. Oh, my 15, God. 15 was doing his, just dealing drugs for his dad, making deals with some of the black gangsters. And the black guys, I guess, didn't realize who his dad was. And he had said something disrespectful and they killed him. And then oh, the dad was trying to kill the black guys. When, when was this? This was like in 90, maybe 91, 92. Wow. Uh, and uh, yes, but like, but Butchie Bifocals was having his like four. And in, in this case with Dilly, you know, uh, his son Curtis, I think was, was um, named in one of these murders and Penelope was his, was his son-in-law and he was only 24. But I know that some of his kids uh, were teenagers working for, for Dilly and moving his drugs. Well, in some ways, it sort of makes sense if you think of, like, um, uh, you know, like uh, class status and inherited wealth and th things like that. So if your dad's the boss or, like, a captain or something and they're involved in white-collar crimes, you're initiated through that route, right? You're going you're gonna to be brought in later in life, like, in your 20s, and you're going to be brought up in... Uh, you know, money laundering and things like that. But if you're if you're like a soldier and you're like just a guy who is a hitman, drug dealer, it, it seems sort of I guess, I guess five like, six years doesn't make know. that much of a difference. I don't know why I would be okay with it if he was twenty one and I'm not okay yeah, with yeah, it right, right. when he's fifteen. It just seems yeah. a little like wow, you're gonna take your kid in eighth grade and turn him in. Yeah, why don't you wait till he gets out of high school to turn him into a drug dealer? Yeah, because because I, I think of like you know Vito Toco back to Detroit, and then so Jack Toco gets socialized in through like the more of like um, white collar, but that's because his dad was a was a was a boss. If your dad's a main guy, but he's just a street thug, hitman, drug dealer, that's probably gonna be your route. Then if you're socialized by your father, maybe not that early fourteen, but whatever, it's going to be street. Thuggery kind of yeah. like activities, right? And I could just see that the Bifalco kid, Butchie Bifalco's kid, I think it was his stepkid. Nonetheless, he raised him. And I just would hear, or I shouldn't say I would hear, I would read the uh, FBI reports and talk to people, and they were just like, yeah, this kid was walking around his junior high school like, you know, he was the second coming of Al Capone <laughs> and talking to everybody, you know, and he supposedly he was like 5'3, 100 pounds. So it was like wow. this tiny, tiny guy who happened to have a dad who was a killer. But uh, running his mouth and was doing deals with these these pretty heavy duty black gangsters in their twenties. He was like sixteen or fifteen or sixteen, and he mouths off to one of them, and one of them's like, "I don't care who your dad is." Yeah, and killed him. Yeah, you gotta be. Yeah, it's pretty reckless. Yeah. So let's finish up uh, about uh, Herbie Blitzstein. Uh, Twenty five years ago, uh, he's murdered inside his house uh, in Las Vegas. 
He had come out to Las Vegas in the early 1970s with Tony Spilatro um, from Chicago. That entire 15-year Tony Spilatro run in, in Las Vegas is chronicled in the movie Casino. which was actually just on the other night I was watching it. I can never not watch Casino no. or Goodfellas when it's on. Um, and in the movie, uh, the Herbie Blitzstein character is a composite. Um, they make him a, a mix of Herbie Blitzstein and a guy by the name of uh, Stevie Blue, who uh, Stevie Bluestein, who they called Stevie Blue. Um, and I think it was Stevie. I can't remember in the movie. When I, I was reading your article, I can't remember who, who it the is. The guy though. who gets killed with the hero sandwich in his hand. Oh, okay. They killed Blue. Yeah. They, called, they thought it was hero sandwich okay. with a gun. Yeah, right. I, I remember And then that. those yep. guys went and shot up the, the house of the in cops and killed Blue. Yep, okay. They, that really happened. Blue got killed. Uh, Her, Herbie didn't get killed until the 90s. But yeah. Blue did get killed because the cops in Vegas thought his hero sandwich was a gun. Holy shit. That really happened. Did the Spilatro guys... And they really did go by the, did, did the police officers shot up, shot up the house, and that's when um, some of the FBI agents went to uh, either the clown or uh, Joey Ayupa's house in Chicago. And they're like, I don't know if you know what's going on in Vegas right now, oh. but your guys are shooting at our guys, and oh, if shit. they don't stop, we're... So this is one of the many reasons why Spilatro ends right. up in, <laughs> right, right. in a ditch. Him and his brother. I don't know if Stevie Bluestein was his dad. It was the, the guy's name was Blue. They called him Blue. His last name was Bluestein. His dad was involved in the um, unions, and he'd come out there to be a part of the Spilatro crew. He lasted, like, a, a couple months, and, and the surveillance unit that were that were watching Spilatro didn't really know this guy because he was kind of a new member of the yeah. crew, so they didn't know if he was dangerous or not, and they were yeah. following him back to his house. And just like you see in the movie, he gets out of the car. He's, like, yelling at the cops, why are you harassing me? Yeah. The cops think that he's pulling a gun, and in reality, he's got a sandwich. Damn. <laughs> so what do you think uh, Spilatro and them, like, they say we're going to shoot up the cop? I mean. They were all they were all tuned up on coke. Oh, I was just going to say, you'd have to be pretty. Like, <laughs> That's another part of the Spilatro story that really does not get enough due. They kind of say it in the movie, but they more, they talk about his crew. His crew was all hopped up on coke. But one of the big reasons that Spilatro had the downfall he had is because he, he developed a coke problem, and yeah. it was it was messing thinking. with his uh, yeah. his his decision making, his critical was... uh, critical thinking. Yeah, because normally you'd think if one of your guys got clipped, especially if he's not a made guy, you might be like, you know what, we need to stay low for a while. Not not okay. Let's let's go take well, out all one high of on cocaine, and they're like, let's go shoot up the cop's house. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. But and then also. Uh, Tony Spilatro had a ton of heart problems at the end, and that those heart problems came from the from the cocaine use. Sure, yeah. Um, so Blitzstein, so so Tony Spilatro was murdered. You saw in the movie, murdered in '86. Um, Blitzstein has to go to prison for some of the activity that was going on with Spilatro, but is only in prison I think for two or three years. Comes out um, in late '80s, early '90s. Goes back to Vegas and kind of opens up his own rackets without any protection from any of the crime families. So come mid-90s, he's making a, a nice coin in Vegas, and he's, but he, he doesn't, he's not kicking up to anybody. So, which really, if you're going to Monday morning quarterback it, he probably should have been sending something to Chicago yeah. just so if what happened happened, he had someone to run to. Especially back then. Yeah. So, at, you know, at a certain point, the L.A. and Buffalo guys, you know, hear about it. They have a presence in Vegas. And Blitzstein's not made. He's not even Italian. He's Jewish. So they 
they plot to murder him and take over all his rackets. Now, what they're not prepared for is that the people that are plotting this on the L.A. Mafia side have been infiltrated by an FBI agent, Herm Groman, who we know here in Detroit as the White Boy Rick FBI agent. But uh, after the White Boy Rick saga, Herm went and did undercover work uh, and infiltrated the L.A. Mafia in Vegas. And they thought he was Italian. They right? thought it was, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think they, uh, they called him um, Sonny. I think it was, was Sonny. And um, was spending, like, every day at the social club that the L.A. Mob had there called the Seabreeze. And he was right, like, he's working a case against the L.A. Mafia, and then all of a sudden they start talking about Herbie Blitzstein, and he's wired for sound. So the, I think there was some controversy at how they how it still happened. That I was just thinking, right? Yeah. So why weren't why weren't they right. intervening? So and, I think maybe in some ways they were like, we can. I don't. Know, I don't want. I don't even want to speculate, but maybe like the bust is bigger after. Didn't you say they warned Blitzstein? I thought the feds warned Blitzstein. He was like, I don't worry. I take care of myself. Yeah. So maybe there there was some yeah. intervention, some attempt at intervening. So like the minute that. Herbie's killed in January of 97. They have the culprits. Like, the bus came down, like, a week later or two weeks later. And all the guys that were involved in it, you know. So, so needless to say, they didn't successfully take over Herbie's rackets. Yeah. And he, he was, um, but he was a big earner, right? I mean, he had, yeah. it was, it was. And he a- was colorful. He was, in at least in the, in the 70s, he was this 300-pound guy with uh, a full Manchu and, and uh, mutton, uh, mutton chop sideburns, <laughs> and it would dress in these loud, you know, wide lapel, like very garish color schemes. And you're walking around with Tony Spilatro, who was five five on a good day. <laughs> yeah. So you know they look they look like twins. They, they look like the movie Twins, <laughs> Schwarzenegger and DeVito. Right. And he and I don't know if you said this already. Blitzstein owned the jewelry shop, right? Yes. That we I didn't say casino? that. Okay. Yes, he did. He owned the Gold Rush, which was another one of. Uh, or I think their main headquarters, Palato's main headquarters. And were they fencing? Stuff they were out fencing of there? everything out of there. Yeah. So, so Blitzstein, I, I think he was like one of Tony's best friends from when they were kids. Right. And like so in elementary school, they met each other. If the feds and I, I think this was in your reporting. I read it somewhere that I thought someone did warn him that he might be a target. And didn't he sort of think like he rushed it off? Like I'm, got a, warned, I'm a connected guy. I was yeah, just he Palatro, got warned. Like, he got warned by guys on the street, and he got warned by the feds. Yeah, and he... He thought the Chicago guys had his back even though he wasn't kicking up to Chicago. Yeah, that's not how it works. <laughs> Chicago guys are like, we haven't seen anything from you in 10 years. Right. Like, why Why would we interject yeah. on your behalf? Right, the having your back is in exchange for yeah. the tax. No, like you said, he was li- he was living on the reputation of the Spilatro crew, yeah. which hadn't been in existence in 10 years. Yeah. Or l- more than 10 years. So it's a kind of hubris, I guess, or he uh, inflated his own, his own importance. So... Why do we know why? Like, I mean, to go right from like, okay, we're gonna this guy has a, these lucrative rackets. He's not connected to anyone. Let's whack him. Were there any attempts by the this Buffalo LA conspiracy to like at least try to shake him down first? At least yeah, try to tax him first. And, and I don't you know. know what I mean? Why go from zero? No, to I agree. And I don't know who was sanctioning this. Like, I I don't know if the boss, like at the time, the boss in LA, Pete Milano, who actually has connections to Buffalo and Cleveland. Or the boss in Buffalo at the time, which would have been lead pipe Joe Todaro. Yeah. 
uh, if they had okayed this or was this their capos doing this on their own? Yeah. Because they both had represent... This was happening in Vegas, but the crime families weren't in Vegas. The one crime family was in L.A. and the other crime family was in Buffalo. So they had representatives that were doing this. I don't know how much... Right. Back and forth, they were like... Yeah. I, I could see... Uh, the the capo I'm blanking on his name I think Caru- uh, I think his name is Louis Caruso from L A and Bobby Panero the Buffalo guy who were like the two highest ranking guys in this conspiracy I could see them just being like we're gonna do this and yeah yeah right I'm not gonna check with my guy back in New York and I'm not gonna check with my guy back in L A yeah no one's gonna right um, because you would think the traditional plan of action would be try to get your hooks into him first let's see if he'll pay a tax and yeah. if he doesn't then things could escalate. But but they well, just go right right to their, like, that's you know what their uh, their defense at trial though was I think they were saying we were just trying to shake them out the the hitters just did it on their own oh yeah they went rogue I don't believe that <laughs> I know right. that was an argument that was made at trial that like the the guys that were actually pulled the trigger yeah we didn't tell them to pull the trigger we told them to go there and muscle them right. So, so let me ask you if we have some time here. So you and I are both fascinated by the politics and sociology of the underworld, especially internal dynamics within one organization. But we're also fascinated with when different crime families interact with each other yeah. and plot things and scheme things. How does the Buffalo guy and the L.A. guy, how do they hook up? How is this just because well, they're both in Vegas? Or? Well, yeah, but there's also been a traditional connection between Buffalo and L.A., as strangely enough. And mm-hmm. Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Milanos were tied in through Cleveland and then before that Buffalo. Okay. Um, so I just, I know there was a, a, exa- a pre-existing connection. Doesn't that seem pretty common for L.A. for most of its history that most of the high-ranking guys, they're not from L.A. Like but isn't, that, isn't that representative of L.A. in general? You have a yes. lot of, like, most of L.A. Sense. are transplants. Yeah, that makes sense. That's right. Yeah, macro, yeah, level. That yeah. that does make sense, right? So, because um, a lot of those L.A. guys are from either the Outfit or Detroit or and the, Cleveland. Let's also say that that, it clearly wasn't the end of the Buffalo Mafia, because we're sitting here talking about the Buffalo Mafia in 2022. Right. But that little fiasco with Herbie Blitzstein... That was really, for all intents and purposes, that was the end of the LA Mafia. Yeah. Um, they existed in some form into the 2000s with Pete Milano was the boss, but there wasn't really anything there. This took down, this this brought down Carmen, uh, Carmine, Carmen Milano, who was Pete Milano's brother and underboss, and he flipped. And that that took the whole crime family. You know, any any like functioning full-blooded organization was no longer after that right and now that does i don't think it exists at all now yeah yeah we we talked about this in the today's uh american crime families episode which by the way is our i think still our second or third most downloaded episode if people want to check that out but i know about 20 years ago there was a congressional committee that said um one of the cherry hill gambino sons tommy gambino was the was the underboss in la in la but First of all, that was 20 years ago. And then, again, we don't even know. What does that really mean? He's the guy. If, <laughs> when people are talking right now about what's going on in L.A., yeah. I think he's a name they bring up if yeah. he's still alive. I think he is, yeah. And then, I think he's younger. And then there's a, a, a they call him Pauly Tattoos, uh, Paolo Rossi. 
Okay. But two guys do not make a crime. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think there could be there could be some misinterpretation that they could be made guys from another family. I'm not East doubting there are made. I know yeah. there are made guys sure. operating in yeah. L.A. That right. doesn't mean there's a the, functioning right. L.A. mafia. Doesn't mean they're part of some singular unit. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, so um, every New York family's got a rep in L.A. Yeah, yeah. For, for even for, today, I mean, even today, yeah. all, all those, all five crime families have a guy in L.A. Yeah, and then Chicago has always had, um, going back to Johnny uh, Roselli and. One of the big reasons that the L.A. Mafia has lost its footing over the last 20, 30 years is because of of, cart, of the cartels. Oh, yeah, yeah. And sure. the, the yeah. prominence of yeah. that whole world that's come into the scene. And, I mean, they, that didn't really – it really started in the 80s and yeah. then built. But they, the, the traditional organized crime in Southern California never had to really worry about Mexican or, uh, crime groups. No. Until 30 years ago, 30, 35 years ago. Yeah, and then also um, the uh, in terms of, like, more traditional rackets, like gambling, things like that, you've got, like, Armenian gangsters there. You've got the Hells and then Angels, the Lyme, bikers. And then the right, they're, they're involved in all those, not just drugs, those traditional things. Those Mexican, ma- those Mexican mafia-controlled uh, neighborhoods? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see a, an Italian guy yeah. try to go there Muscle. and they, they try to make a collection. <laughs> yeah. They'll be carrying you out right. in a body bag. Right, it's pro- and, like, American Me sort of, and yeah. right, visualizes that scenario. Yeah. Um, um, and then also um, the uh, um, yeah the Italians just didn't, didn't have the muscle to uh, to, to get into. Um, and then there's the, the blo- and then there's the Bloods and the Crips. It's like yeah, it's very kind of disparate. Yeah, yeah, and um, unlike New York, the Italians but that just never had. But the Bloods and the Crips didn't exist until the seventies. So my point is like traditional. Organized crime in L.A., although it was never a, a huge juggernaut, could exist in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, because you didn't really have much competition. And yeah. then unlike other cities, I mean, other cities had versions of this, but I don't think to the extreme that, that L.A. had, starting in the 70s with the Bloods and Crips, to the Mexican Mafia, to the cartels. Yeah, and um, Asian crime. It's just, there's, yeah. just, but... You know, in New York, you have the similar demographics, and the, and the Italians have, have have been been able to hold their own to a large extent. But I think a lot of it also is LA. Just that, that LA family, even even in the '30s and '40s, the New York guys would go there and push push yeah. them around. Like, however, <laughs> let's point out that in the movie Bugsy, which oh, yeah. is one of the reasons I love that, movie. that that the perception exists about Jack Dragna. Yeah, he's and I'm gu- I'm guilty of it because I for. A, yeah. That scene where Bugsy makes Jack Dragna get yeah. on his knees and yeah. beg for his life and right. bark like a dog. Right. Like that would that never happened. That would never happen. Jack Dragna was a oh, yeah. was was a formidable Oh sure. And him and Bugsy got along. There That's was right. not a situation where Yeah, they weren't at odds. I think there was a, a one situation where Jack Dragna called Bugsy and Mickey Cohen to his house and yelled at them, like, you guys need to get along. Yeah. Like, stop, you're messing up. For everybody. Right. You two make up and stop yeah. shooting each other. Yeah. Yeah. So if anything, that shows the fact that he could call a meeting like that. Sure. Shows that he was a much bigger deal than they try to make him out to be in the movie. Yeah. And and uh, Bugsy would have known the, the politics of it that, that drag, as they would have said, you know, Dragon is our friend in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to behave yourself and. You know, recognize his his leadership, and he did, and they did all work together. Yeah, and I mean, the problems that he had were with Mickey, were like the two Jewish guys fighting each other. It wasn't right. the Jewish guys fighting the Italian. 
Right, right. But 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 nevertheless, I mean, L.A. That's an that was an exaggeration in that film. But I, I would say that it is true though yes. that L.A. didn't have the muscle. It's, a less, to, it's a, kind of a lesser. Right. But not that they're more of like the you know the Texas Rangers as opposed to the New York Yankees. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That's right. So when um, but also I was thinking, you know what else? With one of the reasons why um, the Italian mafia is not as um, if there if there even is one left in L.A. is for a long time they're really one of their like bread and butter rackets was the porn industry. Yeah, <laughs> and that's completely that's completely well, changed too. You know, it's all you and that was you know Times Square in New York and then in Southern California. I mean that was ground zero for the porn industry, the not just the mob porn industry. Right. The, that's when the mob controlled the porn industry. Right. And every family had a yeah again had represent representations. In the industry, yeah, yeah, so, did. So my point did. is, like, even though L.A., it, 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 Southern California is where the pornography business was, and the L.A. Mafia definitely had a role in that. But there were members from all the other different crime families that also had planted a flag in L.A. for the porn industry, right? Like Mickey Zaffirano, the um, big banano guy. Yeah, like he was out in L.A. a lot. Yeah, right. Because that's where the business was. Right, and and. Uh, Detroit had uh, their hands in that. Joe, uh, Joe Hooks. Right. And uh, I think the Gambinos had their hands in the L.A. porn industry. Well, Joe, Bo- Joe Hooks was working with the Gambinos. Yeah. He was working with D.B. Right. Oh, yeah, he was a big porn Bob guy. D- 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 Bernard- uh, Robert D. Bernardo, who was Gotti's guy. Yeah. And so to the extent that they're involved in that, I'm just speculating here, but I suspect it might be in, to the extent that these exist anymore, owning those, like, sites, sleazy. <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> it's, at, it's, it's white collar now. Yeah. Oh yeah, you mean now? Now it's the actual the website, right? Yeah. You're saying, yeah. I was thinking of like the porn the, tube. The, you are not. Por- is it called porn tube? Whatever you you oh, porn. You as porn. if as if you don't no, know. I know. <laughs> you is it either you you porn or porn? It's either you porn or porn tube. Whatever I'm that just is, which is one of the big sites. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Where you can get yeah, like Pornhub is the biggest. Pornhub. That's yeah, what it's that's porn. the biggest. What did I say? Yeah. You porn. Yeah. Pornhub. Pornhub is the one. So I'm, Pornhub. Allegedly, I've heard of. I, I can't say. <laughs> Pornhub, I know that, I shouldn't say I know, I've heard that some of the Pornhub uh, financiers and business people have some connections to oh, some have, members. Uh, I, I, you have to think that that's a sketchy yeah. industry even even today. Even today. So, oh, yeah, um, but it turned on its head. I mean, it, yeah, right. It's, 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 well, it's it turned on its head for everybody. Right. It's, and twice it turned on its head. Turned on its, well, maybe three times. It turned on its head when it went from, Film to tape. Right. Then it turned on its head when it went from tape to DVD. Yep. And then it went on its head from when it went from Streaming. DVD to just, Streaming, it's, everything's yeah. online. Yeah. No, that, that's right. But you have to imagine, again, I'm not an expert, you have to imagine that's a CD still. Yeah. Um, this is a sketchy, um, sketchy industry. So um, what about, um, just bringing back to Buffalo again, so they they whack Blitzstein. They get some of the guys get taken down, especially the L.A. guys. And the Bobby Panero guy that was involved in this, Bobby Snowballing, they call him, is considered a you know an administrator now. I was just gonna say, what was the fallout from the Buffalo end of the Blitzstein? Some guys went to prison. I'm not sure if Panero went to prison or not. He went to prison for something. I'm not sure if it wasn't if that was it, but his guys definitely went to prison for the Blitzstein thing. Yeah, I know one of them was named Mor- uh, Alfred Moriello. Um, but, yeah, Bobby Snowball or Bobby Panero is, you know, according to the FBI. Still uh, around. Is still around and is, uh, you know, in the administration. Yeah. And uh, another thing with Buffalo is interesting for talking about now updating it. Um, 
to the to whatever extent they have their hands in the bloodshed in Canada, and I think you and I think that they do. Yeah. I, I think it's still unclear exactly to how to disentangle all of it. It's pretty complicated. I think but, they're backing. I think they they're supporting one of the factions. Yeah, that's at war in Canada and has been. I mean, we've been talking about this. You know, it's a, it's a the great Canadian mafia war that's been going on now since the late two thousand and tens. Um, and yes, I and there have been. The most recent uh, spats of violence have been in Hamilton. Right. It's not just Montreal anymore. It's right. spilling over. So those guys are, you know, a stone's throw away from Buffalo. Yeah. And it's always been complicated. The ethnic... Musitano brothers. Right, because they're, they're Calabrese. Who have both been murdered in the last couple of years. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying that the Buffalo family was involved in it. I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised if it. Yeah, it, it's 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 challenging in some to in some capacity in some capacity whether they were providing trigger men or they were you know sanctioning logistics or, or yeah. something. Yeah, it seems quite possible. But because you have guys like Violi who's now in Buffalo and they, but they were Bonanos, but they're they're Calabrese, and then they don't like the Rizzutos because they're Sicilian. Right, they're they're aligned with the Lupinos. Yeah, so which is the another uh, mafia sect in Hamilton. Yeah, so it gets then it gets complicated. Not only the ethnic differences, but then do they uh, are they the different mafia groups? Are they Cosa Nostra or are they Andragata? Right, it gets it gets pretty challenging to try to disentangle. And I, I, I I'm not even sure if we know exactly yet. <laughs> you know, no, it's I, I, take think, I think it'll be like tw- twenty it. years from now we'll be able to yeah. get a better idea of what exactly happened in the 2010s yeah. uh, in Canada. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's insane. It is insane. And this was happening in America. I mean, you have ha- hundreds of bodies. Yeah. You know, probably you're getting into 200, probably 200 bodies in 12 years. Yeah, and it's interesting, the, the perception, because when I talk to people who, who who are only mildly interested in organized crime, and I talk about the violence in Canada, they're like, Canada? Did they, like, apologize to you right. after <laughs> they went? You know, there's these stereotypes that everyone's so friendly and polite. And I'm like, well, that, that, that depends. I mean, you have these places we've talked about, Hamilton, Montreal. There's there's some neighborhoods. There's some rough neighborhoods in, yeah. in these in these places. And it's not like uh, all the soldiers are being killed. Like, the bosses are yeah. all being killed. Right. Yeah, it's not associates and low level. These are, like, yeah. these are assassinations. In some ways in Montreal, because of, you said, the, the body count is so high, I'm surprised in some ways there's even any organization left there because just because the a numbers game just how how <laughs> they killed so many guys and then it spread to Toronto then it spread to Hamilton and you know yeah and like you said killing high ranking significant people all the leaders at, right so then you very think, few what's, leaders what's are left? left right yeah. at that point what's left guys either they find, and also about it and we we should we'll, one day we'll do a, just a straight Montreal episode I think would be interesting but um, not guys some guys just disappear. But not all of them. A lot of these are brazen. No, most of them are broad are, daylight are cowboy style. <laughs> right. Yeah. Public place, public execution. I mean, both the Musitano brothers. One was killed in his driveway. Yeah. And one was killed uh, right. leaving a meeting at a furniture store in a in a suburb. Yeah. These aren't like uh, luring a guy to a you know factory at three a.m. and yeah. you never see his body again. These are pretty yeah. public and displays of both Musitano brothers. It was like uh, I don't even want to say a joke, but it was like this common theme in the last couple years of their lives that they were dead men walking yeah that like there was nothing you can do to prevent the fact that someone's going to come kill you yeah yeah it's 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 pretty um it's it's pretty uh 
precarious there, violent, but also it'll be good. We'll do an episode one day. And, and what's fascinating is how it connects to New York and how it connects to Italy. Even. Well, and the Musatana, all these years, the Hamilton later. guys had made an elite, uh, had, had made an alliance with the Rizzutos. Right. So when the Rizzutos lost, yeah, their power, right. It there was a reverberation on yeah. what was going on with the Musatanos and Hamilton. Yeah, that makes sense. The, then other people sense this is our opportunity because yeah. the guys we want to take out are no longer backed by, and we can tie this kind of heavyweights. It, it was percolating before uh, Sal Montana got to 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 Canada, but it really escalated when when montana got there and that was the new york bonanno godfather yeah. who got deported yeah lands in canada i think in 09 yeah and uh you know makes a uh alliance with with vito rizzuto's right hand man uh the french canadian desjardins and and uh declares war and we're sitting here later or we're sitting here now 12 years later montana's dead uh, desjardins is, is back in prison he was out for a second and got his parole violated and uh, like we said, there are hundreds of bodies, not dozens of bodies. Yeah, because that's a whole other interesting thing because Montreal was always Bonanno territory. I mean, Magadino sort of resented it, but it didn't matter. But Bonanno's ultimately took it over. And at some point, the Rizzutos told New York, we no we're, longer pay yeah. tribute. We're, we're our we're own, own entity. Our own Borgata. It's the 90s. It was the late 90s. Yeah. And so, um, and Bonanno's at that point either... They weren't in a position to say anything. Yeah, they, Messino, who was the, right. was the boss of the Bananos at that point, his his empire was crumbling. Yeah, that's right. I don't think they were in a position to enforce that. And and then Montana, right? He he viewed it as like he could he could he, maybe he, he viewed it as right. his rightful uh, yeah his rightful territory. That's right. Yeah, because he was kicked out of the United States, and so Montreal's typically Bonanno territory. He didn't but, care about Rizzuto. He's Rizzuto's in prison. I'm coming in and I'm taking right. his stuff. Right. And I don't you don't think he appreciated that. That by that point, a lot of the people in Montreal had viewed it as like bananas. You don't have you don't have any any stake in this, no or influence. Like, and so he he, well, he really misjudged they did, that. If they did, I think they would have tamped they would have tamped things down. I don't think they would have allowed it to get. That's right. That's a that, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Because there was relative after the Violi executions, there was relatively stability for a long time there. You know, because they're making so much money. Viola, and, it's between seventy eight and yeah. That's what I mean. 2009. Yeah, it was pretty stable. 30 years. Yeah, and they're making... No, 20 years. That's 20 years. And they were, they were making, like... It, it was this really interesting dynamic of, like, um, where Vito Rizzuto, who's technically a soldier in the Bonanno fan... He wasn't but, he's even the, but he's the godfather of, but he's the, yeah, of and, Canada. Yeah, and he's making more money as a soldier than, than probably probably Messina was. Sure he <laughs> was. the boss. Yeah. The boss of the well, whole Rizzuto had his had his imprint on every single yeah. racket in the whole country. Yeah, yeah, not just Montreal. Right. Yeah, and they were supplying all the dope to yeah, black gangs, everywhere, the bikers. Yeah, yeah. So one of these days we'll do, we'll do another deep dive. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's it's fun to talk about Buffalo. I think I think it's an interesting, important uh, region. Um, all right, uh, we're gonna wrap up. I'll remind everyone to uh, please. Follow us on uh, uh, Twitter and uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, we're going to have a, a even more of a presence on social media and video pretty soon. I, I, I think that's, that we're on the verge of making that happen, so we're excited about that. And, and again, the reason why it's so important to follow us on social media is that's you know how people are finding out about us. So um, every time you like us or share us or whatever, whatever that, that however that goes on social media, it's really important to get the word out, so we appreciate that. 
Anyhow, we'll see you next time. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato, Scott Bernstein. See you guys next week. We're out. Peace.